Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Welcome to Bet the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher here as always with Drew Dinsick. Uh, today we're going to talk Bengals, Browns, Chargers, Dolphins, uh, and the Rams, Seahawks, Blockbuster. And then we'll talk a little US Open as well. We're recording Thursday afternoon. It's finally here, Drew. We waited all summer. Dodgers, Marlins, Ryan Pepio. Let's <laughs> <laughs> finally start to accelerate away. Uh, no, let's talk about football. Let's start with Bengals, two-and-a-half-point favorites at Cleveland. Looks like Joe Burrow is going to play, uh, despite mm-hmm. all the conjecture. I uh, would be very surprised if he didn't. At this stage, the total is 48 here. Uh, the Browns have had some success against Burrow in the past. Uh, do you agree with this line? I have had a very tough time wrapping my head around exactly what matchup is going to matter most here. Um, This is a really, really good contest. It's super consequential. Every AFC North head-to-head this entire season is going to be must-watch. As on record, I think overall this division is really, really flat. Um, And, you know, when, when Burrow first got hurt with the calf, um, the talk was, like, well, what would, what would this line be without him? How much is Burrow worth to the spread? Like that was kind of the information that stirred up at the time. Um, and I hadn't really considered the game. I hadn't really thought through the handicap at all. Cause this was obviously it's middle of you know, early August and there's a lot of <laughs> preseason to play out here. Um, but I thought to myself, yeah, man, wow. Why is that three? That's a big number. Um, I mean, the Bengals offense is a unit that I really have a ton of affinity for. I'm higher on them than market. People seem to think that this offensive line is good. I, you know, rate them excellent. Um, people have given, been giving Orlando Brown really a, a tough time as they kind of look at this particular matchup. They think he's going to get, uh, you know, run over by Miles Garrett and that Bo- Burrow's going to be under duress and that his mobility may be a question mark and that in general, the Bengals' lack of preseason, um, you know, reps for Burrow has been an impediment to him getting off to a good start in years past. All of that is, you know, is maybe fair. Um, but the broader question is, what is a fair power rating difference between these two teams? And until we see what this offense looks like with Deshaun Watson, I don't know that we know the answer to that. So this was a pretty easy one for me to basically just put a line through because reports out about Brown's camp have all been very positive about the defense. People are very encouraged about this defense uh, and have been kind of harping on the fact that the offense is going to be different. Um, but until we see Deshaun Watson actually operate under those conditions, then I'm kind of, so, uh, you know, I'm kind of cold on these guys or I'm out on them, I guess. I need to see it to believe it uh, that uh, Watson still has what he had in 2019. 
Um, and, you know, my underlying thesis, which is narrative issue, I guess, and maybe a little bit weak and definitely weakly held, like I will let this go in a heartbeat if it turns out that there's evidence to uh, disprove it. But I think the NFL is a little bit of a different landscape now than the last time we saw Deshaun Watson really thrive. Uh, and that is to say that there is an emphasis on playing too high, too high safety coverage and really kind of forcing quarterbacks to get it done um, by being more efficient, by getting the ball out of their hands quickly. And none of those are boxes that I would check for Deshaun Watson's skill set at all. Uh, he tends to exaggerate and lengthen plays. He tends to, uh, you know, take sacks when, you know, there were other opportunities available to keep an offense moving. Um, and, you know, when, you know, when your strength as a, as an offense identity is you have a bruising offensive line that can create uh, space in the run game and Nick Chubb, who's probably the best back in football. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how Watson really fits with the landscape in the current NFL with what Stefanski wants to do and what the talent on this team is. So, um, you know, at, at two and a half, this is Bengals are pass for me. Um, and, uh, you know, with the questions swirling surrounding, um, you know, Joe Burrow's mobility and how, uh, in particular, the defensive line for the Browns matches up against the O-line for the Bengals. I'm leaning Bengals, but uh, I'm not going to play this game. Do you have a, a strong read one way or the other here? And, and if not, what are you most looking out for to tell you what to do with these teams in week two? Yeah, no, we'll get to our best bets at the end of the show. This game is not among my best bets. I think this is the game that is, in a way, the least solid and requires from the market and from betters just the most amount of guesswork just because no one really has any idea what Deshaun Watson's going to be. And I think that the conventional wisdom or approach with Deshaun has been to take one end of the spectrum is the guy that we saw in Houston who was a top five quarterback in the NFL um, by his last year there uh, when he was playing. And then the, the other end of the spectrum is whatever the hell the guy was last year where he's just close to the worst quarterback in the league. And to basically, I guess, find a halfway point between that and maybe skew more towards the Houston guy just because of his age uh, and because now that he's had, you know, a year with the team and maybe for him, for himself is more prepared. But I don't know, man, he looked terrible last year and it didn't just seem like he was rusty. It, it seemed like he was physically a lot worse. He just didn't seem to have the same uh, just juice that he had in Houston. And so I don't know. I don't know how to treat him in terms of handicapping this team. I think that he makes them the highest variance team in the NFL because if he's the Houston guy, then all of a sudden this could be close to the best offense in football with that offensive line with, I think, the best running back in football with Amari Cooper, who's you know maybe a mid-tier, low-end number one. We'll see what they get out of Elijah Moore and DPJ. But the defense as well, which I think will be improved. I, don't, I still don't understand why Cleveland's run defense was so abominable last year. Uh, we'll see if they get a better year out of Denzel Ward, who wasn't good last year. That's one random thing with just, I think, pricing some of these defenses is the guys like Denzel Ward, Xavier Howard, these elite cornerbacks who had really down years last year and how much are they going to bounce back? We'll see if Ward even plays week one, uh, being in the concussion protocol. It looks like he will. But yeah, to be honest, I've got no idea what to do with Cleveland. I would ride, if you're betting them, uh, I would be riding the uh, high degree or high variance outcomes. So stuff like Nick Chubb, Offensive Player of the Year, fourth in division, that kind of stuff uh, is the way to bet it. And, yeah, I don't really have a lean uh, on the line or the Okay. 
if you're dying to bet this game, I like Browns first half more than I like them full game. Uh, and one of the reasons is, you know, I kind of mentioned a key matchup that will kind of tell me one way or the other if I'm right about the O-line for the Bengals. I want to see, you know, what this D-line looks like against those monsters. And if the D-line for the Browns is as advertised and is different, you know, is game-breaking, you know, game then Bengals are going to have a tough time getting going early in this one. They're going to have, uh, you know, they're just in general, they're, Plan A offense might not work. Um, and then on the flip side, uh, if we are guessing at what the Browns offense might look like, Lou Anaruma is probably guessing too. And, you know, he was perfectly fine kind of letting an offense kind of show you a plan A and going into the halftime and coming up with, you know, a couple tweaks, a couple tink, tink, you know, tinkering uh, with his, you know, scheme and how he wanted to defend. Um, and so I'm extremely interested to see, number one, can the Browns take a lead into halftime? If they can, then maybe a lot of the boxes that you're thinking are positive for them, we're checking. Uh, and then on the flip side, what can Lou, Big Lou do coming out of halftime? Uh, in the back of my head, the loss of the two safeties that I thought were especially effective for the Bengals the last handful of years, I think could be consequential. Um, and so if Lou doesn't have it coming out of halftime here, I think that that does kind of solidify my, you know, my downgrade on the Bengals defense. Cause right now I, I rank them a little worse than average. So that's going to be problematic in a very, very, very crowded and quarterback friendly AFC, if that's the case. Uh, and so, yeah, this is must watch for a lot of reasons, but, uh, the big swinging points, uh, data points are going to be, you know, what does Watson look like in this Stefanski offense? How is it different from last year? Um, you know, can the, d does the Browns D line uh, have the juice to, uh, to get it going against the Bengals O line? Uh, and then what do we do with the Bengals defense as far as the rating goes? Yep. And I think also just the, the big thing with this matchup in years past has been that Bengals just haven't been able to block Miles Garrett. Uh, and now with Orlando Brown, Jonah Williams heading into what year four now, uh, it's the 11th pick in the draft back in 2019. Uh, they should be better equipped to do that than years past. Uh, and so that would have me skew Bengals uh, if I had to pick a side because I think the market is still treating Deshaun with a relative amount of respect. Um, certainly that he didn't justify with the way he played at the end of last year. All right, before we get into Dolphins charges, uh, a reminder, NFC East rivals do battle in the first Sunday night football game of the NFL season. Watch Dak Prescott, Micah Parsons and the Cowboys take on Saquon Barkley and the Giants in the Meadowlands. Coverage starts at 7 p.m. Eastern Sunday, only on NBC and Peacock. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, They'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 
988 for free confidential support anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Dolphins, Chargers. The line here is Chargers minus three. Uh, the total is 51. So the market is saying that right now the Chargers are slightly better than the Dolphins on neutral. Uh, what I think most, when I think of this matchup, is, is what happened when these two teams played last year, where I was quite bullish on the Dolphins coming oh, yeah. into a primetime game. And uh, that was the worst I've ever seen to a tag of I lower play uh, and really had me reevaluate what his floor and ceiling were as a player where he looked like he'd never played football before in that game and just had no idea dolphins couldn't do anything uh and the Chargers kind of trucked them in a way that i'm not sure the final score fully conveyed uh and so uh, i don't know look it was one game uh weird season for tour obviously so i'm not going to define him by that but i do think it is concerning that you know jalen ramsey's obviously out eli apple Eli Apple, not great against the Chargers offense that should be a higher octane. And I think the strength of this Dolphins team on defense is going to be a pretty fearsome front four and pass rush. But this Chargers offensive line is probably the in the best state it's been since. All I can remember is Phil Rivers having garbage offensive lines. I'm sure he had a good one at some point uh, in his mm. tenure. But with Rashawn Slater back, that's not going to be as much of a weakness as has been in years past. Uh, so what do you make of this game? Yeah, I think you set it up well, which is the scars from 2022, December 2022 Sunday Night Football are still a little little raw. Uh, I was with you on Dolphins there, um, and I definitely uh, felt like this was one where you could have graded it an L after one quarter. Yes, um, immediately. <laughs> oh, oh, this, oh, this is a loss. Uh, and this happened. Um I would kind of point to a couple of important points for that game. Number one, it was the Dolphins' second week in a row on the road after playing in San Francisco. I can't remember. I think they stayed west in that time. Um, But the San Francisco game was pretty consequential because they went in there and they got absolutely exposed. Like It was very clear that uh, the Niners kind of put on paper, you want to stop this offense? This is how you do it. And the fact that they only had the you know handful of days on the road uh, to kind of come up with something new before the Chargers basically just kind of took the game plan from the Niners defense and ran with it, uh, I think was consequential in the outcome there. Um, and now the shoe's a little bit on the other foot where Mike McDaniel has an entire uh, you know, pre- you know, preseason and uh, offseason to think about this particular matchup. Um, and I'm excited to see what he has in store in terms of wrinkles. I think if the Chargers kind of trot out that same game plan, there's going to be busters in the game plan for the uh, offense for the uh, Dolphins that is going to make it much tougher for them uh, to, uh, you know, to, to keep uh, Miami under 20 points here. Uh, and that's why the hottest side that we've seen in the market, at least uh, for this game, not only has it been nudging char- chargers out to three, but it's been pushing this total up to 51 on its way to 51 and a half here. Um, and, you know, there's optimism that number one, the Miami offense will look better. There's optimism that under with Kellen Moore, there's going to be a much higher aggressiveness in, uh, you know, with what Justin Herbert's asked to do uh, than what he was asked to do last year. The second part of that, I still hold a hair of hesitancy entirely buying into. 
because of some of the issues we talked about, particularly when we talked about the Cowboys and uh, what Kellen Moore brought to that team uh, in his tenure. So um, a little bit need to see it to believe it that this is like uh, an absolute take the top off offense now with uh, Kellen Moore combined with uh, Justin Herbert. The fact that Justin Herbert didn't get any preseason reps, I think, was is somewhat important uh, for at least kind of letting the, maybe the Dolphins do get uh, a, a little bit going here early. Uh, maybe they take a lead into halftime. But, um, you know, it's this is the, at the end of the day, the new coordinator hires of Fangio for the Dolphins against Kellen Moore for the offense. I tilt the balance in favor of Fangio there, even with some of the, uh, uh, you know, personal, you know, uh, question marks on this uh, Dolphins defense. I still just, I really like the way his particular scheme matches up with uh, potentially this idea of, uh, let's attack down the field. Let's be aggressive. Like if Kellen Moore runs that out there, Fangio has got that. He's got the answers to that. And I think that this is realistically an opportunity to, to grab a, a price on the Dolphins that, um, you know, you kind of set off the top, tells you that they're, the market makes the Chargers a little bit better on a neutral. I mean, this is a neutral, Jay. It's at SoFi <laughs> with uh, as many Dolphins fans as Chargers fans here. And it's week one of the regular season, which means there is no travel fatigue on the Dolphins to this point uh, as they head out to L.A. So, um, this is as neutral a game as it gets for uh, you know a team flying from Miami to LA, uh, and so for those reasons and the fact that the market's given us a flat three, I ended up playing the Dolphins. But um, you know, if you said, "Hey, man, you got to cut your card down a few plays," I'm probably leaving this one on the cutting room floor. Okay, yeah. If I had to play one side or the other, I would be taking the Dolphins plus three. I think the thing is with the Chargers who on paper for years have looked magnificent uh, and are a team that me and I think a lot of people talk themselves into every preseason because of what it looks like on paper. This organization just does dumb stuff every year uh, and I don't think they've been well coached in a long time. I don't think Anthony Lynn was a great coach. I don't think Brandon Staley is a great coach. His star has lost all of its shine since that mm-hmm. game against Cleveland uh, what, two years ago where he effectively won it with aggressive fourth down decisions and was, you know, plus 350 for coach of the year and then it just all collapsed. And now this is a team that I still have no idea why they were playing their starters in week 18 against the Broncos and saw Mike Williams get hurt as a result of that. And it's just, you know, it just makes sense that this is the team that blows a 30-3 to three lead in the playoffs and I just don't trust... Staley. I do trust Justin Herbert, who I think is going to be a top five quarterback this year, but a uh, bit more faith in Fangio and McDaniel uh, in week one. So I'm with you. I would take the Dolphins. So quick thought, uh, if we're right and the Dolphins, you know, do pull off the win here, you think we're going to get Chargers under three at Tennessee next week? Because uh, that's a nice matchup. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I also have no idea what to do with the Titans, uh, who are three-point dogs <laughs> against New Orleans in one of the stranger games. I just don't know if – I think that's something where you just have to see if the offensive line of Tennessee is just completely not viable uh, to the point where it just wrecks the entire offense and there's just nothing that can be done. We'll also see what their secondary looks like, Tennessee, which uh, – uh, was not a strength to the team last year, certainly, uh, to say the least. Uh, also, Titans and Chargers played a pretty weird game last year where I think it was on the Chargers minus three or so and really had to sweat that out to the end, even though Tannehill 
went down. Uh, but yeah, I would love the Chargers to get under three uh, against the Titans because it certainly feels like they would cover that. All right, before we get to uh, Rams Seahawks, what a game. Uh, the NFL season starts <laughs> this week, which means drafts are happening right now. Get the Roto World Football Draft Guide, which includes all the rankings, player profiles, and projections you need to win your league this year. Go to NBCSports.com slash draft guide to get your draft guide now and use code CHAMP23 to save 20% off and receive a $10 Fanatics E gift card. All right, Seahawks are five-and-a-half-point favorites home against uh, the, the battered LA Rams. The total is 46. And I think what this line kind of illustrates is that week one is probably the most conservative in terms of line setting, which makes sense. We just don't have, you know, a current season prior on these teams in terms of what they put on the field, and it's a lot more projecting forward. And so that's why you don't usually see, you know, 16-point favorites in week one. Uh, which you may see come week 12 when there's been more. One, there's just more sample on teams. Two, there's more attrition in terms of just teams being decimated. Uh, but this is one where I think we might look back and be like, why were the Rams only five and a half point dogs against the Seahawks in week one with Cooper Cup out? Uh, and not much else on this team outside of Matthew Stafford and Aaron Donald. So uh, what do you make of this one? I mean, we're going to ask ourselves that. And also, why did why is someone still betting Rams, I, in my opinion? Um, as we're recording this, there are some shops out there that you can still get four and a half here for Seattle, which means that, uh, you know, we're not talking about key numbers here as we're, you know, bat- you know bopping around here from four and a half to five. Um, but I am pretty, you know, I mean, I'm pretty... Uh, uh, sure here that the Rams are not an NFL quality roster. They are not running out uh, a team uh, that I think is going to be competitive, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. And I think the Seahawks are pretty darn good. Um, so this is a huge, huge disparity in class. Uh, you know, anytime you're, you're flirting with a touchdown spread um, in week one of the regular season or, you know, in double digits in the case of say like the, uh, the Ravens Texans game. Like it's usually like, Hey, we got a huge disparity in class between these two teams. There's either one, you know, this team is playoff bound and this team is going to be vying for the first pick in the draft. And that's what, uh, you know, that's what I see with these two teams because the Rams realistically are going to have Matthew Stafford throwing to, several targets who have very, very difficult, difficult time creating separation. The Seahawks have a young and talented group of uh, secondary players. And uh, I think that actually kind of pivots the Rams into maybe a little bit more of a run heavy approach, just because I don't know that you're going to want Matthew Stafford running for his life back there getting, uh, you know, especially, um, you know, beat up by, you know, some of the newer pieces on this pass rush for the uh, Seahawks. And it, it it sets up to me as the type of game where Rams are almost going to have to be conservative by design. Uh, and then on the flip side, you get a little bit of a preseason vibe here with uh, the players that are going to be taking meaningful snaps for the Rams defense going up against really, really good offensive weapons in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Um, maybe, you know, there's some optimism on the Rams side of things because people think that there are, you know, that that Jamal Adams missing matters or that JSN may not be a, a full complement and that they think that there's some injury questions swirling for the Seahawks. But I see uh, a playoff caliber team with Seattle at home against a team that is you know, is was well out of their league in terms of uh, competing for 
um, you know, a playoff spot this season. And I, I'm really struggling to figure out why this price is where it is and why uh, there's support here for the Rams. So we get, we'll, we'll find out one way or the other, I suppose. But uh, my fair price is on the other side of seven here. And uh, I'm pretty bullish on the Seahawks. And I agree that as we go deeper into the season, this might be one of those games where, you know, I regret not having more Seattle in, in pocket. I don't know. I'm struggling to figure out why the market isn't coming with us on Seahawks. Honestly. Well, I guess here would be the case for the Rams is that the offensive line, which wrecked their entire offense last year to the point where, like it might be for Tennessee, it just wasn't a viable offense because they couldn't block. Well, Seattle don't really have much of a pass rush. So that's probably mitigated a bit there, as opposed to how it might be against other teams. The Seahawks also really struggled against the Baker Mayfield Rams down the end of last season, which is a game they really needed to win. I think it's very possible that the Rams have the better quarterback here, where Matthew Stafford, his stock is very, very low at the moment. He's 35. Which he's not... 40 he's 35 and you know what 18 months ago was uh you know winning a super bowl uh at sofi stadium geno smith 18 months ago was doing nothing uh and really wasn't very good in the back end of last season he wasn't terrible but he was got very lucky with interceptions now so that would be the case i think is that you know there's a quarterback advantage there's probably a coaching advantage with the rams as well uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm just playing devil's advocate. I don't really believe that. And I would certainly be taking the Seahawks uh, if I had to choose sides. I just don't see what the upside is for the Rams in terms of personnel because it's not like they need to, you know, just have two or three players really pop out of nowhere. It's like they need 10 uh, because there's just nothing really on this roster outside of Aaron Donald and and Matthew Stafford and and I guess Havenstein and John Johnson, like there's just nothing really here, um, particularly without Cooper Cup. So uh, I'm with you on the Seahawks. All right, before we get to our favorite week one bets, a reminder, Saturday, September 9th at 11 a.m. Eastern, Vaughn Dalzell, Brad Thomas and Eric Froton are answering your college football betting questions for week two. All we have to do is tune into our NBC Sports YouTube page to hear more of our thoughts on Texas, Alabama and multiple Big Ten teams in action, including Maryland as three-plus touchdown favorites Saturday night on NBC. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you do for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. The Premier League is built on hope. The hope of discovering a new star. It doesn't take long, but Darwin Nunez to make an impression. The hope of rewriting history. And the hope. 
hope of continuing a dynasty. Unstoppable week after week. This is the Premier League on NBC, USA and Peacock. Favourite week one bets. I'll start us off with the Pittsburgh Steelers plus two and a half against the San Francisco 49ers, Steelers at home uh, in the 1 p.m. game. Eastern, uh, I just think that with the Niners, there's a few red flags for me. One, Nick Bosa, yes, he is going to play. I don't think you're going to get full go, 100% Nick Bosa, uh, as you might have had he been there the entire time. Secondly, I think that the Niners' offensive line uh, outside of Trent Williams is sneakily a weakness, and you don't want that to be a weakness going up against the Steelers' pass rush and the Steelers' defense in general. And then I think lastly, I just, I, I, I'm just still very skeptical about Brock Purdy, and everyone seems to be okay with Brock Purdy and the Brock Purdy experience being a full go in San Francisco and trading Trey Lance. I still think there's a reason that this guy was the last pick in the draft, uh, and I know that being in the Shanahan system, having Debo Samuel uh, and Brandon Ayuk and Christian McCaffrey. And also we'll see what we get out of George Kittle because he at the moment is limited. And I get all of that, that he's in the best context possible and he executes what he needs to. But as someone who was heavily on Kyle Shanahan coach of the year and watch Brock Purdy's every snap last season, uh, he is prone to moments of madness. And I think the Steelers defense will be able to uh, produce those moments in Brock Purdy and be able to take advantage of them. And then on the other side of the ball, uh, like this Niners defense is excellent. Uh, there's no way around that, but I do think the Steelers offense will take a leap forward. They look great in preseason for what that is worth. Year two of Kenny Pickett, who closed last season uh, in pretty strong form for a rookie. Year two of George Pickens. I think the offensive line will be better. I think Matt Canada cannot be worse than he was last season. So all of this points me to think that this line should be closer to pick. And I understand that going from two and a half to pick is not a massive leap. But uh, if I was to play one line this weekend, it would be the Steelers. Uh, so what do you think of that? And what's your best bet? I'm with you on the Steelers. I like that breakdown. I agree wholeheartedly. And I think this is actually kind of a good test of uh, how much the preseason matters um, because everything the Steelers have done has set them up to start hot and everything the Niners have done has set them up to start cold. And if the Niners ultimately win this game, it kind of throws a lot of that narrative out the window. But I believe in it for this contest in particular. And I like some of the matchups and you kind of hit all those key points. So let's go Steelers. Here we go, Jay. Um, We teased my best bet a minute ago. It's the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, amazingly, I am uh, facing significant market resistance here. Um, The Rams, Jay, they put a lot of starters out there in preseason on defense. In fact, that was a whole story. I don't know if you heard because McVay is classically known for, "Ah, we don't play our starters in the preseason, but this year they had to because they really needed to evaluate some of these guys and figure out who was going to play where and what and how. You know what happened to them in the preseason, Jay? They got run off the dang field. They struggled. They struggled to get off the field against second string offenses uh, from uh, the LA Chargers and the Denver Broncos. They made Jared Stidham look like the next... Uh, you know, then the, I'm trying to think of who he actually looked like, but they made him look like the next Trevor Lawrence. They made, uh, you know, they made uh, uh, Aiden O'Connell uh, look like uh, like a viable starter. I, I mean, like the, these guys are not a an NFL caliber defense, even with Aaron Donald out there. Um, and I think uh, Geno's jeans and company are going to um, 
basically get to what it, you know pick their number in this contest. And uh, you know, there's been a little bit of betting to the over here, which I guess tells you that somebody thinks that the Rams' offense is being oversold in the absence of Cooper Cup, but. I mean, if these guys can create separation against what I consider to be a very good secondary, then so be it. Um, I think this is going to be a, a pretty ugly one and, uh, you know, hopefully a, a game that uh, we can kind of put to, get it, put to bed at halftime. Yep, I like it. Go Hawks. All right, before we close out, I'll uh, talk some U.S. Open. We won't cover the women as they play tonight as we're recording, last night as you're listening. Uh, so let's cover the men. Novak Djokovic, minus 1,400 favorite against uh, young Ben Shelton, surprise quarter winner. And then Carlos Alcaraz, who we thought would have a pretty tough run, uh, made that look untough against Alexander Zverev, really taking care of business there. And he's minus 375 against Daniil Medvedev. Djokovic is minus 125 to win outright. Uh, Alcaraz plus 120. Uh, So two questions. One, do you like... Uh, well, I guess you don't like Shelton. So do you like anything in the Alcaraz-Medvedev match? And then also, is there sense in betting Djokovic at minus 125 with the thought that he might go off closer to minus 150 in the final against uh, Alcaraz? That's about what I would expect. But I also think people are really starting to kind of get over their skis on how to price Alcaraz. So it's tough to say if that's actually going to be the market. Uh, we see. Um, kind of shocked at the market we saw from Wimbledon in terms of how little respect Djokovic got. So I think that there's there's potential for a little bit of an un, uh, unknown here in terms of what pricing is going to look like for the final. But I would expect something like Djokovic minus 150, which means betting him now minus 120 for the title is probably fine. I had a, f- a friend ask... Uh, <laughs> Uh, who, who would you be, you know, who has a better chance of getting to the final between Shelton and Medvedev? And I was like, well, I mean, obviously Medvedev. I mean, 1% is much higher than 0%. <laughs> um, and, uh, but that's the kind of belying the point that uh, Alcaraz kind of has the ideal game to kind of take care of Medvedev um, and Medvedev in general, like he's been playing during tougher times of the day. It's been very, very, very hot. The conditions have been extremely t- challenging for players, particularly playing during the day. Um, and he spent you know, a decent amount of time on court against Rublev in the, uh, in, you know, just yesterday. So it's, it's, it's tough to see that he will find some extra gear, some deeper re- reserve, some well of, uh, of energy here to come with his best stuff. That said, Alcaraz winning against Zverev was, to me, more about Zverev not showing up physically, did not look well. Uh, And Alcaraz played a pretty poor match overall, particularly off of his forehand, particularly in the early stages of that match. He just was not anywhere near as razor sharp uh, as what we've seen from him. Um, you know, in his recent runs through some of these big tournaments. So it's, it, I, Alcaraz to me still looks more vulnerable on serve than Djokovic by a margin. Um, and I think Medvedev could make that a little bit of a longer match. Um, now, if you want me to say, well, what would kind of price would we see if Medvedev pushes Alcaraz to like five sets? Now that's an interesting question. Cause like if that's, you know, Alcaraz comes through three, two, uh, and he spent, you know, five hours on court then market's going to make Djokovic like minus 200, minus 250, assuming he comes through pretty cleanly. So um, I only see really upside swinging in favor of Djokovic. So to kind of come full circle on your question and your point, I do think futures market Djokovic is still a bet if you don't already have some um, because, you know, the, the floor is probably minus 120. I don't think he goes off as a dog or a pick 
but the ceiling is quite high if Medvedev shows up and gives Alcaraz a test. Yep. I think, I think that really makes sense about the rest because we've seen as well, particularly that Alcaraz is someone who's susceptible. Uh, yeah, to, great point. Yeah, to, to uh, being undone by his conditioning and by his body. Think back to uh, obviously the, the French Open semi against Djokovic where Alcaraz's body just completely abandoned him and he couldn't move. And then also back to last US Open where he kept on playing these marathon five setters kind of for no reason because he didn't really need to go five against Sinner or TFO, but he did. And then by the time he got to the final against Casper Ruud, he was just done. He had nothing left. And Ruud really could have won uh, that match if just a few key points had gone his way to, to go up. I think two sets to one at one point, he was in the mix for that. So Alcaraz... You know, he's still young. He's still, I think, understanding his body and how to be efficient on court. And so if he is pushed to the limit by Medvedev, then that is huge advantage, Djokovic. Uh, I just think that, I just think back to the two ga- two matches, though, that Alcaraz has played against Medvedev uh, this year, and Indian Wells, and then uh, Wimbledon, where he just destroyed him. And Medvedev's kind of trickery and his change of pace and everything that he does... Alcaraz just blasted the smithereens. Uh, and it's not really a great matchup for Medvedev, I think, as Alcaraz can uh, combat whatever he wants. So, yeah, I I think we're going to see the Djokovic-Alcaraz final that, that the market expects. And, uh, and I agree that Djokovic at minus 125 seems to be a little bit of meat on the bone there. I think it's going to be ultimately a fun, well, Maybe it will be. We'll see what the final is like. But could be a fun trivia question one day uh, when we ask who who are the players who took the two sets off of Novak Djokovic at the 23 uh, US <laughs> Open. Uh, Laszlo! Laszlo, Jerry. Very, yeah. very strange. Uh, but <laughs> so it goes. All right, we are done. Don't forget to check out NBCSports.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks, everyone, watching on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. Please rate and subscribe if you're listening in podcast form. And a reminder to find all your favorite NBC Sports shows on Amazon Music. Just head to Amazon.com slash NBC Sports. From Jake Croucher and Drew Dinsick, we'll see you soon. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.